Hello, and welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I am your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Whifford. No! Watch out for the sea snake! Ah! So today, we are talking about the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, Episode 2, titled... Adrift. And as that screaming was any indication... Mike is sympathizing with those poor, unfortunate souls that got devoured by that giant sea monster. Uh, but before we get into that any farther, we're going to give out the typical reminders here. If you want to get into contact with the show, you could send us an email, which is fantasyrewindpod at gmail.com. If you want to tweet at us or talk to us on Twitter, you could do that at Fantasy Rewind. And then on Instagram, we're Fantasy Rewind Pod. DMs. All right, so Mike, without any farther ado, let's talk about the Rings of Power Episode 2. What were your thoughts about this episode? Very much the same as the first episode, honestly. I feel like we're getting a lot of different storylines, and it was almost like the first episode and this episode are sort of setting all of them up. Yeah. I really liked the Casa Doom. Me as well. I loved Casa Doom. Thought that looked spectacular. It looks spectacular, and it's so cool to see it, you know, in its glory. For right? sure, for sure. I had that same reaction. I'm like, okay, so this is what the Mines of Moria were before they were a killing ground. <laughs> yeah, so it's going to be really cool if we get to see the transformation. Yeah, I have a feeling that uh, we'll be seeing a Belrog start to stake a little claim later on in this series. I wonder if it'll be this season or if it'll be just a separate plot line almost you know for sure for sure i don't know if it's in season one i have a feeling it will be because we've already got that teaser of durin's bane which is the belrog from the main trilogy of lord of the rings and it's been confirmed that that is the same belrog and Mm. so i have a feeling since we already saw video of it and it was in the trailer that it will happen this season season one not sure how late into the season it will be though But we're getting a little (laughs) ahead of ourselves here. So why don't we talk about our characters here, the arcs they've been on, and kind of what we think of their their personal journey so far. Yeah. Um, So we definitely have a lot more with Galadriel in this one. And I think we do get a little bit more from her in this episode than we did in the first one. We're definitely seeing, too, um, that like el- being an elf while it seems really neat and cool because you're the big sort of ruling class i guess not very well liked <laughs> no which is a little a little jarring because of how much everyone hates the elves apparently um in this age compared to how they think about them in the third age when we see them there yeah and again different adaptation so you can't really like you know compare too much because this is these filmmakers sort of view on this or what they want to bring to light right well and i also do think it does like show the difference that an age can make because if you think about what is the third age like what's been happening in the third age which is when the main trilogy of lord of the rings is happening there was already this great fight of all the races coming together to battle sauron Mm. and already like strike him down together and during that final confrontation many elves many men many dwarves all forces of the light died 
together. They fought and died together. So I yeah. feel like some respect was forged there by that common bloodshed. Good point. Um, whereas Definitely in point. season two, or not season two, but age two and age one, um, the elves are kind of the bringers of war. Because it was the flight of the Noldor, leaving Valinor, coming to Middle-earth, chasing after Morgoth, coming for his head, that like many viewed as, you know, this is an elven war. Because at the end of the day, Morgoth is really Melkor, who is a Valar. And he is, you know, besides being a creator of the entire world with the rest of the Valar, he's kind of viewed as like a god of elves, maybe. And so, like, the dwarves don't really view themselves as being tied to Melkor, and neither do the men, but we'll see. I mean, it's going to be one of those things where we'll see how much history they can actually give us. Spoiler alert, I'm reading the Silmarillion right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's the that's book why I'm going to. I'm like, lore. yeah, I, I wanted a refresher since we're talking Rings of Power, and it's been so long since I've read Silmarillion. And for very good reason, because as interesting as it is, it is a very difficult read as far as, like, reading through it. It is a legitimate history book, which has, like, a lot of uh, similarities to the Bible in some respects, in that it is the Bible of Middle-earth, the Bible of Tolkien and his works, basically. Um, But going back to the actual show that we're seeing here, Galadriel is definitely being judged based on being an elf. Um, we're seeing Arondir being judged based on being an elf. Mm-hmm. And that clash between the different races is definitely palpable. Well, and also, too, you have elves judging men based off of their, like, ancestors. And Yes, very true. And, I, I mean, you can kind of see why, because these elves are living so long that they're seeing the ancestors and then they're seeing their children's and their children's children. So to them, it's just like... No time has passed, right? Well, this it's actually comes to something that Durin, Prince Durin says to Elrond. He says, when we get to that part of the show there, so Elrond and Prince Durin are apparently friends, but Elrond oh. hasn't seen Durin in 20 years. And Elrond's like, oh, what's it been? 20 years? Wow, barely any time at all. Look at all this great stuff you did. And Durin's just like, what do you mean, barely any time? I've lived an entire life during that time period. I got married. I had two children. I've built up this, helped build up this kingdom. What do you mean hardly any time? So it just is showing the disparity between the passing of time for an elf versus the passing of time for a dwarf or someone of another race. That's, it was, that was a really good point. And I, I thought it was interesting because you're sitting there when Elrond goes um, to visit them at yeah. Casa Doom. And... He's saying, oh, yeah, we're friends, yada, yada, yada. I'm expecting, like, a warm welcome. He doesn't get it. And the entire time they're doing that competition, yeah, you're just sitting there kind of wondering, like, what happened between them? He doesn't even, like, act, he's not even acting like he recognizes Elrond. No, Durin refers to Elrond as Elf. Doesn't refer to him mm-hmm. as Elrond. He's like, Elf, what are you going to do? Elf, you know, like, coming at him that way, showing that there is definitely some gap that has formed between their friendship. And you're like, what's going on? Like, why is Durin giving him the stank eye? Yeah. And I think that that whole dynamic between Elrond and Durin is going to be very interesting because obviously Durin's father found some kind of treasure, right? And they are kind of trying to keep it away from Elrond or the elves feel in general. that he may 
be upset about it. And we actually did have a mention of the Silmarils. We did. We did. From, uh, oh gosh. It was from name? Elrond and Celebrimbor. They were talking yes. about how when, how when Morgoth stole the Silmarils, he looked at them for like days and weeks straight until like a tear that he shed based on their beauty like interfered with his vision and then he saw himself and was disgusted by what he saw so he tossed them aside never to look at them again which spoiler alert i think that it's a silmaril that they're gonna have them find um so there were three silmarils which are these beautiful jewels that were made by one of i think it was by feanor um, who was one of the master smiths of the elves, but if it wasn't Feanor, it was an elf. Um, I don't remember their name exactly, but I think it is him. Um, anyways, these Silmarils were considered the most beautiful objects ever crafted by any race. Um, so when you have the, uh, Melkor, um, who is also known as Morgoth, when he like sheds his Valar name, because he's no longer considered one of the Valar, um, when you have Morgoth grab the Silmarils and kind of hightail it out of there, it's this great crime, and like that's like the tipping point of what pushes the elves to leave Valinor and chase him down to try to get mm. these Silmarils, which they were using to kind of like light up Valinor and like in place of I think it was in place of the trees once they were destroyed, but um, not a hundred percent positive on that. Still, I think that's what it was. Um, but anyways, we have this promise of a feast in um, Kazadum again, and again we don't get what we were promised yet. First, it was Gimli during the main trilogy saying, "Oh, mm. <laughs> you know, roaring fire, open flames, meat you can peel right off the bone," versus, "Oh yeah, he'll blow the horns and fight us in for a feast. You know, he's my friend from forever ago." And then both times that that warm welcome that we were promised at Kazadun was has been denied, which I just think is a little ironic. That is a pretty cool connection you made there. I didn't even make that connection, but that makes sense. The door they came in was really cool too, and it was really neat. As I said, it was really cool seeing Kazadun. And I think I need to re- really tell myself this: that I need to stop trying to compare the Rings of Power to the Peter Jackson trilogy because, again two completely different like teams creating this right and so it's not going to look the same i'm looking for landmarks you know that we saw in the trilogy but we're not going to see those honestly i wouldn't be surprised if we do to be honest like when we had that shot of like panning around inside a casa doom you saw mm-hmm. all those bridges and i just was instantly reminded of the scene where the Fellowship was running across the bridges, getting shot at by orcs or goblins from other bridges. And I just, like, saw that, and I'm like, it looks so different. Look at it, look at it in all of its glory and in all of its splendor. Mm. And so I am actually looking for those connections, and I bet you that we actually do see more than we might expect. Although I doubt it's going to be a screen-to-screen adaptation of yeah. the same world. Um, I don't think but uh, speaking, would be too happy about that. No. Speaking of, like comparing it to the trilogy there like one of the things that i'm just having to come to grips with and like not struggling too much but i need to keep reminding myself about is that while some of what we see on screen here 
is described briefly in like the Silmarillion and other other texts from Lord of the Rings. The main heart of what we're seeing is original, and it's done so because they are legally not allowed to show what is depicted there. So separating that out and trying to remind myself that, okay, if it is a little bit different, that's okay because they literally could not make this thing. As foolish of a choice as I think that is, I still feel like I should make that separation since it's not really a choice that they're making to be different than the source material. They have to be different from the source material of the Silmarillion because they Mm -hmm. legally cannot do an adaptation of that. So separating that out is something I want to try to do a little bit more, but callbacks and references to that, I feel like are still going to be still going to happen. Still going to be interesting. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I won't stop myself from doing that, but holding it against it because of something they legally could not do is something I'm going to try to not do because visually this has been stunning. And this episode, I feel like does farther the plot in every Mm -hmm. single one of our stories that we have so far. In some very interesting ways, like we said, with the Casa Doom and kind of Elrond going in that direction is really cool. And it seems like we're having four different plots right now, I would say. One with Galadriel trying to chase after Sauron, you know, hopping off the boat, um, going to Valinor and, you know, getting going adrift, so to speak. Meeting up with Halbrand. Yes. Who well, I do want to come don't. back to. Let's just stay here for a second, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. stay here. And then we'll, I'll talk about the other three storylines, just remember. Sure. Remind me. So, talking about Halbrand here, he's the human who is adrift with Galadriel, who actually dives down in and saves her from mm-hmm. the depths. What do you think he's running from? Who do you think he has allegiances to? Like, what's your impression of him so far as a character, since he is an original Amazon character? So I kind of, I don't know if it was stated in the show or if it was somebody said it, I don't know, but it seemed like maybe he maybe came from that village that got destroyed, Mm. sort of connecting already to, um, Arondir, Arondir's journey. Yes. Cause we're not sure what kind of is coming from there, uh, or what's causing that. I mean, orcs, we're assuming but it's kind of weird, like, there's more at play here. Definitely, and I tend to agree with you, because he said he's from the Southlands, which are, like, an area on the map, basically, of Middle-earth. So not a specific village, but that is the same area where Arondir and Bronwyn are right now, and so having that callback to there, kind of connecting Galadriel's storyline with Arondir's storyline, if it is indeed where he's from, um, I I tend to agree with you. I'm not sure on the exact village he's going to end up being from, but I think he's going to be from that section of Middle-earth. Now, as far as what he's running from, I tend to think that they were just scared by the orcs and trying to get as far away as they possibly could. Do you think there's anything more devious at play there? As of right now, no. I think we're going to get some more in this third episode, obviously because... You know, they had this whole plight with um, the sea monster. Right. And I thought it was so interesting that those people were just going to be willing to just throw her back in without even knowing her because she was an elf. So obviously there's a lot of bad blood between that group of people Mm -hmm. and the elves, which would make sense if he was from that region. Exactly. Because there was... The tower was overseeing them and there was all that conflict of interest of like the elves blaming the men for their ancestors and the men blaming the elves for 
being condescending. Being big brother. Yeah, condescending big brother people. Um, So I also do, though, want to talk about the ending of the Galadriel storyline here um, in this episode, where we see, like, her and Halbrand, like, passed out, basically, on their raft, and a ship comes up to see them, or to, and sees them, and we assume maybe rescue them. Who do you think is going to be on this ship? Is it going to be anybody of import? Or do you think it's just going to be um, a random person that's going to take them somewhere? So I'm kind of thinking we're going to see some connection to either those, um, the group of men with the ships that were like slavers. Like the Corsairs? Yes. I feel like it may be a connection to them because I just, you know, I feel like it'd be too easy if it was someone helpful. So it's going to be more conflict and... Yeah, it's kind of where I'm at with that. What are you thinking? I'm thinking it's probably going to be the Numenorians, and oh, so okay, I say that, that would... because of the the shots we have had of what I'm assuming is Numenor in the, mm. all the trailers that we have here, and it would make so much sense since the Numenorians were like seafaring people as well, and out and exploring and pretty like powerful men as far as men go in Middle Earth. So that's kind of my bet, is that we're going to be brought to Numenor. Um, But again, I don't know if it's going to be like a random Numenorian captain, or if it's going to be some Numenorian that we may or may not know. Because I have heard rumors. Oh. Well, it can't be Aragorn. (laughs) No. The rumors I have heard are that um, Isteliador is going to be in this series, which would be very, very odd, but yes. It would have to be a very young Asiliador. Right. Um, we will uh, We will see what happens, though. That is just a rumor that I've heard, but that's my prediction, mm. is that it's going to be some Numenorians coming for her. Um, Interesting. So Maybe Asiliador's father. Yeah, maybe Asiliador's father, which still would be very young, but the men of Numenor do live a long time. So that's kind of like where the Dunedain, what Aragorn's like a part of, they're like the last remnants of Numenor, basically, once, once Numenor is destroyed. Um, but um, moving on to one of the next storylines, let's just go to Arondir and Bronwyn right now. So yeah. uh, these two adventurers see the destruction of the village, and Arondir basically is like, I'm going to go explore this, you get out of here, go and warn your village. Tell them this is coming for them. And Mm. so he goes into the tunnels. And I thought that this tunnel scene was really cool just because of how compact it all was. But at the same time, just like how much of like a, how much of like a maze that those tunnels actually seemed and how it was like more of a practical, uh, a practical effect of trying to squeeze through these tight tunnels with oh all gosh, these orc was... claws on the sides and stuff, but... Ugh, I was so nervous about that. It just made me uh, cramping up, or, like, getting a little claustrophobic looking at him. I'm like, I would not have done that. Yeah. No, that's that's definitely a foolhardy move. But we're kind of getting that from Arondir so far, is he seems to be very strong-willed, very stoic, and kind of like the type of elf that's going to be like, I'm going to take care of this, and I'm going to do this my way whatever I'm supposed to be doing doesn't matter. I'm on my own mission right now. And I'm wondering if this independence might come to bite him later on, if he lives long enough, which I would imagine he probably will. 
But that scene at the end for Arondir where he gets swallowed up by the arms of goblins or orcs pulling him farther in was pretty awesome. Yeah, we saw that in the trailers, actually. And we so did. When, when we had that scene kind of pop up, I was like, oh, I know it's coming, but yep. this is still it was still pretty cool. So that's like the second storyline, right? We have the first storyline with Galadriel, and right now she has been shipwrecked, and they just got found out by possibly the Numenorians. Possibly Corsairs. <laughs> possibly Corsairs. <laughs> um, and then we have uh, Arondir's storyline, where him and Bowen, right? Uh, Bromwyn, I think it is. Bromwyn. Uh, and Bromwyn has a little bit, there's a little more there where Bromwyn's son has discovered that blade, which we're like kind of thinking Morgul blade possibly. Mm-hmm. And he started to discover that the orcs or goblins were coming to attack because they, lo and behold, popped up in his basement and that thing took forever to kill, right? Oh, it definitely <laughs> did. Like it got speared through the, the by the sword. It got impaled by the other. Uh, it got hung. It got like impaled by something else. And then finally, Bronwyn just like chopped its head off, brought it to the council, and was like, "Plop, we need to leave. These things are coming for us." After they had dismissed her earlier, and I feel like the council kind of knows there's like something going on between her and Arondir. But it's kind of like an unspoken thing. Like, they don't really say it out loud. They're like, some of us were glad to see the elves leave. Not saying anybody was glad, wasn't glad, but some of us were glad. And they're kind of leaving that unsaid right there. But as much as it was unsaid, it was loud enough for everyone to hear. Everyone already knew it and just wasn't speaking it. Yeah, absolutely. So then the next storyline we have already talked a lot about, which is Elrond and Durin. Yeah. Which I don't think we really need to cover too much more outside of the fact that it's going to be neat to see where they decide to build this forge. Mm-hmm. Definitely because think so. very much, like you had said, kind of makes me think of Mordor, right? Yeah. And if they build this forge where Mordor is in the future, like, how crazy would that be? Like, you're just like, going to watch it happen, and that'd be pretty cool. Um, but the one that would be really cool to see, maybe even just see the slow, like transformation into like e- darkness or evil. Right. Right. The one more thing I do want to mention about, um, the Khazad-dûm, Elrond, Durin storyline here is that we get to meet, uh, Desa, who is Durin's wife. Oh, I and loved her. she was awesome. I liked her a lot too. Like I'm really liking the dwarves and I'm really liking, um, the Harfoots, because they remind me of the whimsy that is in the Peter Jackson trilogy. And so, like, that actually really kind of called back to that, like, feeling-wise that, is, that I was getting as I was watching it on the screen there. And the yeah. idea of, like, how we saw in the trailer of the singing dwarves performing a resonance, that, I think, explains a lot and explains why we saw them singing and it actually is very in character of the dwarves to, like, have reverence for the mountains that they're mining and everything as well. But I am very interested to see what's in the box for uh, for Durin there, if it is indeed a Silmaril, if it's Mithril, or what exactly it's going to be. And how that storyline progresses, because we still have... Dwarves keeping secrets from elves and elves keeping secrets from dwarves. So, despite all the cordial uh, 
mug raising that we have, there there's still some secrets that aren't being bared out into the open yet. We know it's going to come out eventually. It's going to cause a whole bunch of drama, though. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um, Sal Brimbor is an interesting character. Definitely, like, that artist type that I'm all about the craft, and you could see where he will probably or possibly get swayed in different directions, right? Yeah, and I mean, if they stay true to the storyline here, we kind of already know what will happen a little bit. But Celebrimbor himself, while I'm not a fan of how he's being portrayed as far as the actor's look, the acting as far as, like, his expression of his love of himself, basically, being egotistical and, like, loving his own work, that's that's all cool with me. It It does give me, like, that artist vibe and everything that you're getting from him. And I am kind of uh, interested to see what exactly happens as far as um, the forging of these rings of power and everything that's involved with that, when that actually takes place, which I don't think will be in season one. I think we'll start to get something about it in season one, obviously, but... Right, like maybe see the blueprints right. of like what Celebrimbor is proposing... And who knows, maybe the Seven Rings for the Dwarf Lords will be because they helped forge this, or make this forge for Celebrimbor. And to repay them back, he's making them rings of their own. Also, kind of tossing in some Silmarillion knowledge here, originally there were seven Dwarf Lords that one of the Valar created. And so the throwback to there being seven rings makes so much sense as far as like why that number existed but oh interesting and one of them being Doran who is historically like thought of as being reborn in every generation um like or not every generation but being reborn um kind of like a wheel of time thing where like the same spirit different body so like Doran the third if they're sticking to that could just be you know, a uh, a reference of the current incarnation of Doran, unless they're going to make it a little bit different here for the show. But we'll find out. Our last storyline. Yes, the fourth one I was going to say is the Harfoot with Meteor Man, basically. Yes, and I'm going <laughs> to keep calling him Meteor Man until we have an actual name. I think mm-hmm. we are still in agreement that he is a wizard. Oh, definitely. It's just a, a matter of what wizard he is. Saruman, Gandalf, yeah. Radagast, and... Harry Potter. <laughs> He's, it's going to be really interesting when that comes out. Obviously, he doesn't know much, but he can, can he has an affinity with fire. That has and fire flies. Well, that's why I was saying that. And yes. you like the little whispering to the... There's so many callbacks in this episode that really make me think of Gandalf. There really are. The whispering to the fireflies in the palm of his hand. The, like, rising up that, like, kind of is uh, mm-hmm. familiar to that... I'm not trying to rob you scene from Gandalf to Bilbo where he's Mm -hmm. like trying to tell him he doesn't want the one ring. And it just, there's so much that reminds me of Gandalf that I almost feel at this point, it's inevitable. It's going to be Gandalf. I don't know how I feel about that. Don't really like it that much, but I'm going to wait to see how it plays out. I could be completely wrong. It could be the red wizard that was never mentioned. And is going to be new for Amazon's uh, series here, but who knows? We'll find out. We'll see. I don't think there's really too much to talk about with this outside of realizing that the Harfoots are very um, peaceful, nomadic. They kind of go by uh, superstitious, superstitious almost too, right? Yeah. Going by the stars and 
kind of sort of designing how where they move in their life off of signs, right? And how Nori said, if they discover we've been talking to this stranger, they'll blame everything bad that happens to or happens on us for like the next three seasons or whatever. So yeah, there is a lot of superstition going in there, but. We see by the, like, Harfoot leader's, like, book there, it's not, like, all completely mindless. There seems to be, like, some mm-hmm. organization to it. And I'm oh, yeah, I'm definitely. hoping we'll find out when Nori eventually steals that book to look <laughs> for the star and constellation the Meteor Man made. Um, one thing I do want to mention, though, with this part is what did you make of Nori's father breaking his foot at the same time that the Meteor Man snapped the twig? I thought it was just for cinem like cinemat like you know cinematic effect really okay not necessarily a direct connection because mm-hmm. I I don't know why why that would be a direct connection otherwise anytime he steps on things it's gonna break someone's something right well he was kind of like saying something at the same time staring at Nori he was like Nori Udo or something like that and like trying to draw his little hieroglyphics mm-hmm. and then snap and then snap. I do tend to agree. I just wanted to ask if you thought there was any significance to that or if it was a happy coincidence and like more of like a cinematic symmetry moment. Yeah. I think it's more of a symmetry moment, but you never know. Anything else? Uh, Did we get any more reveals with any of the bad guys or anything else in this episode? I'm pretty sure we didn't. No, not in this episode, unless Halbrand ends up being a villain, which is always possible. Um, but as far as, like, the plot and everything goes, there's nothing that has made me, like, take a step back and, like, curse this as, like, you know, trash or anything. It's not bad. There's not enough to, like, make me really be invested in it. Like, I'm not running to my, uh, my TV to turn it on at 12 a.m. EST on Fridays, which is when this (laughs) show comes out. Um, but uh, there is enough there that keeps me coming back a day or two later to watch the series and wanting to see how it continues. And I'm definitely liking it so far. Um, and I am pleasantly surprised to be able to say that. And I'm hoping if it's any indication of Amazon's studios, like skill level and like increasing from what they did from prior adaptations they may have done that, future adaptations and second seasons of past adaptations may increase in quality as well i will say like as you as you noted you know it's not like i'm out of my mind like i gotta watch the new episode right away nothing like that but i'm there's nothing there that really there's nothing there's been nothing that has made me feel like oh this is the worst thing ever like no no I don't, I'll be honest, like, I don't remember or know that much about this, like, point in history, and it's not like there's a book series that specifically lays out everything that happens that's gonna really make me fight about this, you know? There might be, it's all very vague events and stuff, right? Even in the the Silmarillion. have is the Silmarillion, but... Even within the Silmarillion, all it is, is it meant, it, like, we'll talk about, like, the the forging of the Silmarils or like the flight of the Noldor, like something like that for like a chapter or two. Like it's nothing that's going to be like super in-depth 800 page book strictly about this event. And so there is a lot of wiggle room 
It's just, mm-hmm. to me, it's more about the flavor I'm getting. And so far, visually, I'm liking the flavor I'm seeing. Oh, yeah. Auditorily, I'm digging it. I'm really liking the score for the show so far. Throws me back to the Peter Jackson trilogy of Lord of the Rings and sounds like Middle Earth to me. And now <laughs> I'm just waiting to see, like, the portrayal of different things. And while the elves aren't exactly how I would have imagined them, I really like the dwarves. I really like the Harfoots. And the men are men. So, I mean, I know. I'm they're waiting kind of to see always... the Numenorians until I judge men because they're like the pinnacle for me of, of what I want to see what, yeah, men as far be. as like the kingdoms of men go. But yeah, mm-hmm. all in all, this series is better than I was expecting and I am happy I'm able to say that. It's cool to just see this interpretation of this time period and to just kind of experience it, you know? I think that's my favorite part of it. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. I don't think, honestly, that this is going to end up being terrible in any way, shape, or form. I feel the same. I feel like that if it was going to be terrible, then it probably would have already been. However, <laughs> given Amazon's track record, I'm not ruling out the possibility of it uh, falling flat on its face in the season finale. But we will see. Um, what about you, listeners? What are your thoughts on Rings of Power so far after two episodes? I know episode three is is coming now, and so <laughs> we'll be catching up and putting yeah. out our Rings of Power and House of the Dragon content in a more timely yes. manner in the future. But at this point in time, to catch up. we're just yeah trying to catch up after Sandman and all that, but we're mm-hmm. digging it. What are your thoughts? Get at us on our socials. Send us an email. We'll send you a sticker as a thank you. Shout you out on the podcast. Anyways, without any farther ado, this is going to be Two Nerds signing off. See ya. See ya.